Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, when, the, when they uh, stood up here and sang, that was a tremendous blessing, and they did a great job. And praise the Lord for that and for the love of music that that our musicians, and especially Miss Bombard and, and Elena, are instilling into these young ones. Junior Church is all about teaching how to worship and how to love God. And so we just very much appreciate them for that and their work there. Oh, by the way, and I forgot to mention it this morning, uh, this is nearly the end of July. There was a very special day yesterday. Karen Rogers had a birthday yesterday. And then tomorrow, uh, Mr. Chuck Tandy also has a birthday. So keep these in prayers, if you would. Uh, it's always a blessing to be praying for others that way. And so just to keep those in mind... And uh, I know that they will certainly appreciate that. Take your Bibles tonight. Let's open our Bibles together to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, if you would. Continuing in this series. Say, what series is that? Well, we're looking at a series all the way through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so for our... For our gentlemen visitors tonight, we've been working on this uh, series through Mark since about September or so, and uh, God has led us to this point tonight, and as I was studying this and preparing for tonight, he, uh, he kind of led me to the idea that uh, in this particular portion in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see a couple of things, and, and he really kind of laid it on my heart that this is a passage that can be looked at as uh, avoiding the demon of doubt. Doubt can be a tremendous... Hmm, hindrance, if you will. Our text this evening is going to be a bit longer. Last week, we were also in Mark chapter 9, but it was only three verses. Tonight, however, the text will be a little bit longer, as we will be looking in just a moment. We'll be reading from verse uh, 14 right through about verse 29. So a little bit Longer, But honestly, I, I suppose, to be honest, this passage, this 15 verses, could probably be broken down into several messages. And, and I'm sure that there's enough material in here to have messages for a month or more. But I also believe that sometimes I think it's valuable to take a portion of Scripture like this, a larger chunk, if you will, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And as we go through that whole passage to lead us individually into studying some of the closer details. Now why do I say that? Well, isn't it given to all of us individually in the Word of God to study? Right? And so if, if all of the study points are laid out for us, well then we kind of get complacent. Oh, we studied that in church this morning. It took us an hour to get through two verses. I don't need to do that tonight. So I don't want that to happen tonight. Study to show ourselves approved unto God, so that as witnesses, as we've been called to be, we will have the understanding that God opens up to us personally during our individual study, so that we can share that. Tonight, I think we're going to take that larger picture approach, if you will, uh, as we study this particular text. As I mentioned, this uh, this title was uh, this message was titled "Avoiding the Demon." of doubt. Now that might sound a little bit dark. It's Sunday night. It's light out. It's a great day in the house of the Lord. Why are we speaking so darkly? Well, it's certainly something that we can all relate to in that we have all had, and and perhaps some of us still do have, 
doubts about some things in our life from time to time. Most egregiously, doubts about our spiritual life. Doubts about how God might use us. Doubts about whether or not we're even saved sometimes. I believe it especially true about these things of the spiritual nature. Now, maybe we don't generally think of doubt as a demon. That seems really extreme. So why would I call doubt a demon? Well, I can tell you, you probably figured it out, I am no psychiatrist. But... I don't agree with a lot of things that seem to be a part of that particular field of study. But I think that we can all agree that there is some truth behind the idea of dealing with our demons of the past. We've heard that phrase from time to time. And all that's simply saying is that we've all had experiences that have affected us throughout our lives, and some of those experiences are quite negative. And we have to deal with those appropriately so that we can move forward, especially in our spiritual growth. How we handle, how we manage, how we continue in life can be influenced by those things. Now that's what makes up the demons that we have to sometimes deal with. Now, I like the old Webster definition of this word demon, and it says that a demon, now we think of demons sometimes as this ugly, nasty little creature that comes up from the pits of hell. Well, certainly those devils are there, and they're a supernatural thing, and yes, they are, but a demon is also just an evil spirit, a genius, which influences the conduct or directs the fortunes of mankind. Now, you've heard that things like the spirit of jealousy, the spirit of envy, are sometimes called the green-eyed monsters, demons. Well, in the same way, doubt can also be a fearsome and even debilitating spirit if it's left unchecked and not overcome. So, let's look at our text. All of that introduction to look at our text tonight. Starting in Mark chapter 9, read along as I read it for you. Starting in verse number 14. And when he, that is Jesus, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, that's Jesus, asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus saith unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now from this lengthy passage, I want to understand and study with you tonight three aspects of the demon of doubt. Those are an incited uncertainty, an imperfect faith, and thirdly, inadequate preparation. Let's pray. Father, as we look to this message tonight about the demon of doubt, God in heaven, I'd ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts tonight. Help us to understand what you would have us to, Father, for applying it to our lives. Father, we have the historical record in your word. But Lord, if we can't understand it so that we can apply the knowledge that we glean from it through the leading of the Holy Spirit, then Father, what's the point? So God, I ask tonight, Lord, fill each one of us tonight with thy Spirit. Help us, Lord, open our hearts of understanding that the Holy Spirit may speak to us the words that you have preserved, that you would have to help us tonight. God in heaven, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly tonight, an incited uncertainty. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's find out. One of the quickest ways to cause someone to doubt is simply to question them. Question what they've done. Question what they have said. Especially if you can cause some kind of sudden uncertainty in their own mind regarding that which has been questioned. Recall, just a moment ago, uh, just a moment ago, we were reminded how God wants, in fact, God actually commands each one of us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Well, part of that, I believe, is so that when we are questioned about a particular stand that we make, or about our position on what Scripture says about a particular point of discussion, we have more to respond than just, well, that's what the Bible says. Or, that's what the preacher said this morning, I'm just telling you. Or, because I think that's what the Bible says. It must be in there somewhere. We need to have more than that. In our text, it seems that these disciples of Jesus were facing such questioning. And not by just one or two. The disciples here... They had been ordained, if you remember, with power by the Lord Jesus to preach and to teach and to heal sicknesses. But then look again in our text, verses 14 through 16, it says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. 
And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted them. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? Well, it is clearly stated in the last part of verse 18. The father said, I spoke to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And thus the scribes were questioning the disciples. Now I think we can probably all imagine the kinds of things that were being said to the disciples when they were unable to deliver this one of this possession by an evil spirit. Who do you think you are? You come claiming to be a disciple of Jesus. Well, you couldn't do this. I think you're a fake. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Oh, we haven't heard that ever, have we? The scribes, the religious leaders, the ones that were supposed to be supportive of supporting Jesus Christ and working for Jesus Christ, the scribes, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this kind of heresy to us? Maybe, I don't know what they were saying, but I have to imagine they weren't too kind in what they were questioning of these disciples. We know that the scribes and the Pharisees were always looking for some way of bringing charges of heresy upon Jesus, so wasn't this just the perfect situation for them? The father said, I brought my son to thee, and thy disciples, I said, cast him out, and they could not. Surely there were some very hurtful things said, and not only about or against the disciples themselves and their false claims about their master and their savior and their teacher, Jesus Christ, but I have to believe that there were some hurtful things said about Jesus as well. You claim to be the disciple of who? Well, some power he gave you. But when Jesus arrived, it seems that the mood all of a sudden changed a little bit. Oh, wait, there's that Jesus guy. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says, and when they, uh, when they saw him, oh, they were greatly amazed and they're running to him and they saluted him. Bunch of two-faced, never mind. Here they were questioning his disciples, but now he showed up. Oh, there's Jesus. Let's go talk to him. Hey, Jesus, it's great to see you. Notice also that suddenly there was no word from these, I almost don't want to even say it, from the holier-than-thou scribes. They didn't say a word. No one was so quick to question Jesus. But the first point is that his disciples, the ambassadors, the witnesses for Jesus Christ, can we say, yep, that's me too. The disciples of Jesus Christ, the witnesses. You see, there's going to be those naysayers that question and oppose those who are the disciples as to whether we're authentic in our faith? Are we true in our claims of Jesus and about Jesus? Friends, disciples of Christ, we must be ever so diligent to know how to back up what we say about the Lord. 
and about what the Scripture says. It's unfortunate these disciples were being questioned. Now, I don't know if they could answer all the questions or not, but as soon as Jesus showed up, people turned away from them and went running to Jesus. And we'll see later on just exactly how the disciples felt. But friends, listen. A doubtful witness, even one that when you're witnessing and when you're speaking to others, if you're questioned and you can't back it up, and all of a sudden now you're filled with sudden doubt, you see that's uncertainty that's been incited into you because somebody just questioned you. We must be ever so diligent to know how to back up what we say. A doubtful witness is not going to be a faithful or a helpful witness. So don't allow, because we don't want to read our Bibles, because I'm too busy today, but I'll get to it tomorrow. Don't allow uncertainty to be incited in you by others. Friends, we have to know Jesus Christ, know who Jesus Christ is, know what Jesus Christ has said. We need to know the Word of God. And then we have to stand fast in that certainty. Friends, you and I are fallible as the day is long. That means we make mistakes. That means we don't have an unrefutable truth, except that we do hear. This is the certainty that we must stand upon. But if we allow uncertainty to be incited into us because we're being questioned, then I don't know if we're being an effective witness. Which brings us to our second point. An imperfect faith. Now though we noted in our passage here that no one was quick to question Jesus, we must also understand that this one who brought his son for deliverance was likely at the point of despair. Jesus asked him, how long ago has it since this came upon him? He said, of a child. We don't know how old the young man was. But clearly it's been a while. This father must likely have been at that point of despair. It seems from the words that he spoke that since Jesus' disciples could not free him from his possession, then there was no real hope for him. You see, I believe this man equated the disciples to their master. When people talk with us, if we fail, do they equate Jesus to us? Do they equate us to Jesus so that if we fail, then Jesus also is worthless? It's pointless. Verses 17 and 18 of our text. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And finally he says at the end, And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. Now Jesus recognized, I believe, his despondency. And he identified the true issue as we read his response in verse 19. He answered him and he said, O faithless generation, not O faithless man, but the faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. 
It certainly is not an issue of this one man's lack of faith in Jesus. The multitudes have repeatedly, over the course of our study, multitudes have repeatedly only wanted to come to Jesus to get their physical and immediate needs met. They didn't want to come to Jesus for what he was preaching. Heal my physical ailment, and that's enough. And aren't we given a representative in this text of the heart condition of so many professing to be Christians in verse number 22. Oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, oh, have compassion on us and help us. What does that mean? Do you find this verse a bit convicting? Have you ever been praying about something and, and, and well, maybe there's a partial answer, but God, that's not what I wanted. Well, okay, God, if there's anything that you can do, God can do anything. But the Bible tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do we give in to that imperfect faith and say, well, okay, God, you can't do that. If there's anything else that you can do, I sure would appreciate that. That's not faith. I find it a lot convicting because how many times have I altered even how I might be praying about a difficult situation? It tends to go from, Lord, I believe you can do anything. Would you please take care of this? And then it goes to, Lord, you can do anything. Would you mind maybe even just do this little bit? What happened to our faith that says, Lord, I know you can do it. Can you take care of this? A little crumb is all I need, Lord. Isn't that what this man said in this conversation? I brought thee, my son, and I spake to thy disciples, and they could not cast him out. If there's anything that you can do, anything at all, give us a little bit of a reprieve, that'd be great. Help us. Well, Jesus then goes on to give the answer that this man and, frankly, each one of us needs in verse 23. Look, at the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, If thou can believe all things, all things are possible to him that believeth. Isn't this where so many get tripped up, though? So many get tripped up. I've been praying and praying and asking the Lord and telling Him what I need and just like the Bible says, but He still hasn't answered. So they get tripped up. I believe, but God doesn't answer. So now what am I supposed to do? You see, these are the ones who doubt prayer and the effectiveness of prayer the most. And then they go about trying to fix their own problems and filling their own needs as they see them, as opposed to letting God fill the need as he knows best. What does James tell us in his epistle? Chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, Ye ask, and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. It's an imperfect faith that turns from waiting on the Lord, drawing closer to the Lord, searching His Word for that necessary food and comfort, and turns to, 
well, if the Lord won't do it, then I will. That's an imperfect, immature faith, riddled with doubt of who God is. The better response should be captured right here in verse 24. Verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Why is this better? Because the psalmist writes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This man had the right response. He broke down and in tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He admitted to the Lord that he was immature in his faith and he needed help. Christian, oh, don't we need some help. This father in our text was clearly broken. Not only for his son, but also for the words, the truth that Jesus spoke. Oh, faithless generation. And because he was broken, because he went to God and confessed his weakness, his prayer was answered. We see it in verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people could run together, he rebuked the foul spirit and saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But he was not. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. You see, this demon of doubt, it's fed by an imperfect faith as this man had. That same doubt will flee, however, if we continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, adding to our faith, filling our faith according to the Scripture, letting the words of Christ abide in us. Don't step away from trusting God. Run to God. When the answer seems to not be, when the prayer seems to not be answered, Run to God. The Bible says, Thy name, O Lord, is my strong high tower. Run into it. And that brings us to our third point. An inadequate preparation. Verses 28 and 29. Read with me what the Bible says. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he saith unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You see, the disciples had been given some power. You recall that Jesus had ordained them with power to preach and to teach and to heal sicknesses. And they had been successful in their mission and what they had been given to do up until now. Oftentimes, don't you find that when we have a measure of success, it kind of drives us to become somewhat comfortable or complacent and begin to think that it's because of our own ability that accomplishes success? Friends, when that happens... There is really no preparation done before the next 
task comes along. We go into it with the idea that I've done this before, I got this, God, I'm all good. And then catastrophe strikes because we weren't prepared, not the way we ought to have been. These disciples, they were preaching, they were teaching, they were even healing sicknesses. Multitudes were coming to them. Clearly in our text, multitudes had come and one man brought a possessed son to these very disciples. But they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared adequately. They weren't prepared properly. Sure, sometimes, and in fact I'll even say many times, maybe all the time, We don't know when an opportunity will arise to minister to someone. Well, okay, you just said that we're not adequately prepared. So how are we supposed to prepare if we don't know when the opportunity is going to come? How about we get prepared all the time? (laughs) Now maybe that sounds a little silly. Maybe I presented that a little bit silly, but isn't that what the Bible says we're to do? Pray without ceasing. Read your Bible. Be in the Word of God every day. Prepare. Study to show thyself approved. Doesn't say study on Monday night and then leave the rest of the week alone. Prepare always. Always be prepared. And I'm I'm no Boy Scout. In fact, I think they stole the be prepared motto. Christians ought to always be prepared. And we should always be preparing. What? Make it a part of our daily prayer and our daily devotion that God would help us to always be burdened for others so that when we meet others, the Holy Spirit can act upon that burden and we can talk to that person about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we can talk to that person and say, hey, you know what? I don't know what you might be going through, but can I, I, I don't even know if you're a believer, but can I just tell you, I've gone through, I I see some things that maybe you're going through, and I've been through some things that are similar to that. And can I just tell you that I've found that there is help? And it's not in the self-help books. There's help in the good book. There's help in the Bible, God's Word. There is a God in heaven. He is alive and He cares for you. He loves you. He loves me and He wants to help. Jesus told these disciples that they were lacking the kind of focused, committed preparation for this particular need. He says this, uh, he said, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. If they weren't able to deliver this man, they were inadequately prepared. Does that mean that we should never eat because we're always fasting? No. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is that rather than relying on the past experiences to guide us into the next, if our prayers are as God desires them to be, there will be times when in that time of devotion God lays it on our hearts. Maybe for no clear reason that we can understand, but maybe God will lay it on our hearts that... I ought to spend some time fasting. I don't know why, but God has laid it on my heart. There's something that God has impressed upon me that I need to spend a season fasting. Why? God doesn't need to tell us that. 
But we need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that when God does reveal, there is a difficult situation and you wouldn't have been prepared. But God, I've been fasting and I've been praying. And fasting, of course, you know what fasting is. It has to be a time of purposed self-denial. Getting alone with God. Studying the Word of God. Getting alone, bearing down in prayer. Leaving our own desires and even some of our needs behind for the time being because we have a burden that God needs to work on and feed and prepare us to be able to meet. There may be times when God lays it on our hearts to bear down in prayer and even engage in a purposed fasting just so that we are in a more focused spiritual state of being ready for God to use, ready as a willing vessel prepared for the work of God. When we are not prepared properly, we may find challenges that we cannot meet. Like these disciples. And like these disciples, we may find that because we couldn't meet the challenge, we may be discouraged and on our way to giving way to the demon of doubt. Well, maybe God doesn't want to use me anymore. Maybe I'm not worthy to be used for God anymore. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. But you see, that's when doubt starts to creep in. And we have to avoid that. We have to prevent that. Like these disciples, friends, did you know that we've been given power? We have been given power. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us, Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Witnesses unto Jesus Christ. Not witnesses that we have the power to do anything, but witnesses that Jesus Christ is the answer. And we have that power, and we are to be witnesses unto Christ wherever and whenever God gives opportunity. You see, we have the very power of God in the Holy Spirit living in us as a Christian. We cannot be ill-prepared. If we're ill-prepared, we can't be considered a worthy vessel. Meet for the Master's use. Remember that verse? 2 Timothy 2.21 says that we must be meet for the Master's use. If we're ill-prepared, we cannot be. What do we need to do? We need to avoid this demon of doubt in our own spiritual lives. We need to stand fast in the certainty of Jesus Christ and the salvation wherewith we are His. We need to be perfect and growing in our faith. Don't let uncertainty be incited because someone has questioned you. Go back to the Word of God and find the truth. Don't let our imperfect faith rule how we may or may not be able to do something. Be perfect and growing in our faith and be prepared unto every good work that God has for us to do. Pastor, would you close? Well, there's another thing you can add to that tonight, that's for sure. But as Steve was preaching, I was thinking the gap. The gap is not in what God can do. The gap is in the unwillingness of us doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
And that's the problem. How many times have you tried to share the gospel and you felt like it kind of fell on deaf ears? And you wondered, why wasn't there any power? Because of the lack of preparation. And we're told in Peter that we're to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We get the word out of that verse there is abligia, which we get the English word apologetics. We're not apologizing for the word of God, but we get in the word of God and we study the word of God so that we're ready and able to give an answer because there's a lot of cynics out there. And they don't believe we have the answers. They don't believe that we have the solutions. But as Steve preached tonight, we have the answers. We just have to be prepared to give the answers. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together in the house of the Lord tonight. Lord, it's a powerful message, a powerful challenge. Laying the foundation for why we need to be studying in the Word of God. It's not just a preacher's responsibility. It certainly is incumbent upon him to do so. But Lord, if the people in the pews are unprepared, then the preacher in the public can pretty much preach whatever he wants to preach. Some will be snookered and some will. They know better. But the truth of the matter is, Lord, if we're all prepared, then when the message is being preached, we can say amen. And so, Lord, may we take seriously the responsibility we have, the imperative command, study, so that we can indeed be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Because, Lord, we realize that there are folk out there tonight in this very dark world who are looking for hope. And, Lord, they have never seen any reason because they really haven't come across a true Bible-believing Christian, one who believes that this is the infallibly preserved Word of God. And therefore, they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to give answers. But, Lord, we need to be sharp as a tack, ready with an answer, guided and directed by the Holy Spirit so that a spirit can minister, breaking down the barriers and causing people to see their need to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Well, thank you for the message we have heard tonight. I heads about and eyes are closed, and I'd ask tonight, were you challenged to spend more time in the Word of God? I know that the flesh, there's a lot of things the flesh would rather do. But tonight I'm asking you, it's the spirit that God has revived. He's quickened our spirit. And our quickened spirit is crying out that we need to be prepared. Heads about and eyes are closed. Preach, would you pray for me in closing as we pray for you tonight? I want to be more prepared. I don't want to come to that, that, that time when it feels like it just went flat because I didn't know what to say or how to say it. Pray for us, preacher. Pray for us tonight. The same is at home as well. We want to pray for you tonight. So, Father, won't you guide and direct for all who raise their hands tonight? Lord, I, I understand and I know the need, as does Brother Steve as well, that we need to be prepared. But, Lord, to be prepared, we have to spend time. That means we're going to give up some of the things that the flesh really wants to do. And people begin to think immediately, oh, how boring is that going to be? But, Lord, there's nothing more exciting than having your truth come to light and being able to take that information and share it with others and watch those barriers and those walls breaking down and with broken hearts and with contrite hearts accepting Jesus Christ as our own personal Lord and Savior. Yes. And nothing more exciting in this world than that alone.
So, Lord, you got to drag for all who raise their hands and, Lord, give them a hunger and give them a thirst. Give us all a hunger. Give us all a thirst for your word so that we can become the servants that you know you can use, servants that you can depend on. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.